Well, good morning, second service. How many of you are a child of God and not a slave to fear? Amen? Yes. Good, 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 good. We've been in this three, uh, the four-week series, third week today on Relentless, as we're studying the book of Jonah, and you can go with me to Jonah chapter 3 as we get there. We've been taking the last couple of weeks, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah 2, we're in Jonah 3 today, but here's a couple of things, two big lessons thus far. The first one is, we said first week, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. In reality, you will eventually run into him. That's going to happen. Uh, we can, we've all run from God somewhere, somehow in our lives. That, that's all level playing field. But in reality, what we're doing is we will eventually run into God in our life. And so we learned that from Jonah, and many of us discovered, now second one is this, is we talked last week that God is very generous in his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. That he is generous in grace. Thank God for his grace. True? But he is thorough with his discipline, that we can't get outside of the boundaries of his grace, but he is very thorough with his discipline if we keep on running. And that is God's discipline that he loves those that he disciplines. Isn't that true? Sometimes we get that backwards and we think I'm being disciplined, he doesn't love me, that is opposite. And if you've been discipled by God through circumstances or even the consequences of your decision, you have to know that that is God. He is at work in you. And so we also said this last week, God doesn't discipline us to pay us back, but God disciplines us to bring us back. He doesn't discipline us to pay us back, but he disciplines to bring us back. Now, if the story ended there, it would be an appropriate place for the story of Jonah to end, most likely. Jonah rebels, runs from God, comes back, God gives him a second chance, end of the story. But that is only half of the story, Jonah 1, Jonah 2. In fact, if we look at it, some of the most famous portions are, you know, Jonah in a whale or in a big fish, Jonah getting spit out. That's the famous part. But that's not even the point of the story. Today, as we look at chapter 3, next week on chapter 4, as we bring the uh, series to conclusion next week, if we want to follow along, I would like you to look in this narrative of what the point of Jonah really is. What is the point? That even though many of us have surrendered to God's moral will, that even though many of us have surrendered to God's personal will, that many of us have waved the white flag and say, God, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, in terms of maybe keeping the law of God, there are many of us good Christian people who have never surrendered to God's bigger purposes for their life. We've never surrounded and, and surrendered, I should say, to God's purposes that are outside of us. We've never surrendered to God's will for the rest of the world. And that was Jonah's problem. And if you look at this, it's a difficulty maybe even as we look in the mirror, even as our own church as Christians, because I think this is the reason that the local church has been marginalized in our culture. Let's look at Jonah 3 in verse 1. Scripture says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a what? Second time. The one who did not deserve in any way a second chance got a second chance from God. A lot of people I know won't even give people a second chance in their life. Well, you messed me over. I draw the line here, and I'm going to write you off now. You are no good. But how many of you know that God is a God of a second chance? 
He came to Jonah a second time. He came to him again. I can't tell you how many times in my own life that God has come to me again. A second chance, even when I've messed up, even when I've failed to do his will, God is a God of a second chance to me. How about you? That's right. You know, that is so true for our lives. And we see this, that there are those of you that have never surrendered your life to God, and he's coming to you again today at this moment. Right now, God is coming to you again. Others of you, like Jonah, you've been in fellowship with God, but maybe you've been disobedient to him. In the last chapters, we looked last week, he said, what I have vowed, I will make good. What I have vowed, and today there will be those of you who say, you know, I'm coming back to God, and I'm going to do what he's called me to do. God is coming to you and to me a second chance now. Those of you, you you'll experience the grace of God kind of much like a, an etch-a-sketch. How many of you know when I say those words, etch-a-sketch, know what I'm talking about? Let me see your hands. See, oh, yeah, we got a lot. And there was a lot in the first. How many of you owned an etch-a-sketch growing up? A lot of you owned an etch-a-sketch. Now, now it's amazing, it, you know, if you've never seen one, you know, it's kind of like a little screen, and it has two little knobs, and you turn it, and you can make all types of lines and try to spell your name. I was never good at it. It was terrible. I don't know how people do art on those things and do it so well that I could never do this. But, you know, you take it and you use it. Now, listen, in Kentucky, they use this for computers. That is their computer. I just wanted you to know that. But uh, um, that's what they use there. And, and then, and so i just making sure I clear that out. And, and don't get offended by what I say, okay. But, but those of you from Kentucky, listen, I can tell your mom was also your cousin, but we're not going to talk about that either today. So that's another story and that's another moment. Some of you are like, oh my Lord, he just, no, we're not going to talk about that today. That's a different message. And, but you know the great thing about it, you can put whatever you want on there, and what could happen afterwards is you would shake it, right, and it would erase it. And so you have to look at that, that even in our own lives, isn't it great that, yeah, we do think there are things on our life that are permanently there, and we get so messed up, and we get so um, frustrated and maybe angry from the things that we've put on, maybe the very screen of our life in the past, the things that we have done, the things that we have said. And, and, and the, there are those like you and me that, you know, we don't even deserve the grace of God, that he comes and he can remove these things. The word of the Lord will come to you and me a second time. Verse two, he said, go. Can you say that with me? Go. It's the word go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you and these were actually two Hebrew words that when you put them together, it means go now. Not just go, this is go immediately and do what I have called you to do now. Urgently, go suddenly, go now. Whenever God comes to you and me a second time, we're like, yes, Lord, immediately, now, I will do it. And you know the best thing is, just do it immediately because guess what? You and I will try to talk ourselves out of it, or the enemy will try to talk us out of God's divine plan for our life. Isn't that true? So do it now. Do it immediately. So he's saying, not just go. You go now. You do it immediately. And so those of you that if you will listen to the Spirit of God today, you will recognize there is something that God wants you to do, to reach out to somebody. To, to apologize to somebody or to give something away or to repent of a certain 
sin. So don't let the sun do it immediately. Go down before you do everything you can do to obey what God says. And he says, go now, go immediately, do not wait. Pick up everything. Go now to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. Now, why did God call Nineveh great? Because they were very horrible people. We talked about that the other week. They were horrible people that did horrendous things. Now, it was also great in influence. It was great in power. It was great throughout the culture that if you look at this, Nineveh is modern-day Iraq. That is exactly where he is talking about, that Nineveh is modern-day Iraq. Every other day, every day on the news, you're hearing something about Iraq, aren't you? It's something throughout the decades that we've heard over and over again. When you specifically talk about the city of Mosul, that is Nineveh. You hear Mosul almost every day on the news. This is the city that he is talking about. It was an ancient population, about 120,000 people, and it was kind of like the cultural epicenter of, of that area. And, and some people would say, you know, it was the most vital of the historical cities in influencing others. It was surrounded by a wall that was seven and a half miles long. It was a fortress. And God was saying, go now, Jonah. Go now. Go immediately to those people that you despise. Do what you do not want to do. This is what he was telling Jonah. I want you to go do what you do not want to do. What you think in your mind should do, you need to reverse that, and you need to go now and proclaim the message uh, in, in, of Jesus Christ, that they are running from God. And so how many of you know this? When, when you rebel against God, God will hunt you down with his relentless love, and he will come after you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? See, that, that's, that's not only talking in this series about, yeah, we saw a man that was the original running man that was relentlessly running away from God, but we see a father heart of God running after Jonah because of his incredible love for him. If you're running from God today, I'm going to tell you something right now in this room. God's running to you. And you will eventually run into him because that's just the way the father works. Verse 3, Jonah got it right. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. In the past, he didn't. And um, he said, no, I'm not. But now he says, you know what? You tell me where you want me to go. Nineveh, okay. I'll speak what you want me to speak. I'll give. I'll tell them that you love them and I love them. Whatever it is, my answer is yes. And he obeyed the word of the Lord. Skip down to verse four here. And it says, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. This is a unique word. If you could highlight that or underline it, whatever it may be in your Bible, smartphone, the word started is the word chalalabal. Can you say that with me? Chalalabal. Come on, say it. Chalalabal. That is the word. See, you're doing great. Chalalabal. Started, that is that word, very literally in this language, means to untie or to loosen so that you can go. Go now. And he said, get started. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at a verse that said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What he did is this. In order to start in the direction that God wanted him to go, he had to release that which we, he was holding on to. In order to go in the direction that God wanted him to go, he had to give up, he had to leave, 
he had to literally, he's, it's the word, it tied him to it. He was tied to his idol of whatever it was in his life. Before he could go on, he had to untie himself, cut himself free so that he could go towards the will of God for his life. How many of you know that to be true in your own life? For us to go on in our life in Christ, for us to be saved in Jesus, we're going to have to untie ourselves from the sin that would try to pull us down, right? We are in need of untying ourselves, that I'm going to go do what you call me to do. And there's a lot of things that are in our lives, like self-will. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do, God, no matter what. You and I are going to have to untie ourselves from that type of heart to minister to people, to minister in the call of God that he's called us to walk in. It could be that you're holding on to a sense of financial security or control. Well, I can't go take that job because it's, it, this one's too secure. I'm really comfortable here. It could be that you're holding on to your reputation, that what other people think of you. You know, well, you know what? If I go do what God's called me to do, they're going to think that I'm crazy and I have lost it. But you and I are going to have to let go of the things that we hold so dear where God is nowhere to be found. I know that in my world, in order for God to continue to expand, I have to let go of control because I like to be in control. How about you? You know, I like to be in control. So if I don't let go, I can't move forward. That's the way all of us are wired. What is it that you are holding on to and God is saying go. And until we get started, until we let go, we will never be able to get going. And this is the message from God. And yet, in this, Jonah started. He let go and he moved forward. Now imagine this. Imagine him walking forward. He's going, okay, I'm going to have to preach a message to these people who are probably going to kill me. Because that is how they operated in their life. That that is what he had going through his mind as God's telling him to go. They're mean, they're violent, they don't like my type. So he's walking through, they're probably going, okay, what kind of sermon am I going to preach so to make them happy? Well, maybe I could do the old classic about if your life is empty and meaningless, God will make it better. Maybe they will like that one. No, no, no. Or maybe I could do my old good three-pointer, three steps to a happy life. Step number one, stop being mean. You are mean, Ninevites, right? Step two, you know, think happy thoughts, right? Think happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Be happy, positive. Step three, don't worry, be, yeah. Then I'll tell a poem and, and then we'll pray and it's over. He didn't do anything like that. He's scared to death walking in there. And what he does is he preaches what God tells him to preach. He proclaimed, verse 4, if you look at it, he proclaimed, he declared. Can you say declare with me? Declare the word of the Lord. He says inside of this, we've used this theme. This is our theme this year on declaring and declared. He proclaimed, he declared 40 more days in Nineveh. You will be overturned 40 more days. Eight words in English, five words in the original language. The message was short. It was direct. It was offensive. I probably think a lot more sermons in our country would be better if they were short, direct, and offensive. 40 days, and you will be overturned. 40 days. 40 days. Now, 
This word overturn is a, has a double meaning. If you look into this, it, it, you know, like we have the word bar in, in, in our, in our uh, understanding in, in, in English language. Well, what could it be? It could be a bar of soap. It could be a bar where you get a drink. It could be a crowbar. It could be a gold bar. A bar has different meanings. This word that he used is, has, a, has a double meaning in it, and it's the word that I put in your notes in Hippoch. It is 40 days. It says, and this word means, and this word can either mean overturned and destroyed, or it can mean overturned and changed. The, the prophetic message from God is 40 days and you will either be destroyed or you will be forever changed. What is it going to be? Because you have 40 days. The prophet, this minor prophet steps up to the plate, running from God up to this point. He steps up to the plate and he says, I'll do what you call me to do. And he says, 40 days, 40 days, Nineveh, and you will be overturned if you don't do what God has called you to do. But you will notice inside of this, and you'll notice inside of your life and my life as well, and every human being on the face of this earth, that if you look, there is time that is ticking with the mercy of God. God's mercy, you need to understand, is a limited time offer on this earth. Why? Because you and I as humans are limited to time. God is not. You and I are limited in the confines of time. It's how we operate our life. It's how God created us. It's how God created us on the earth. But God is not limited to time. He is limitless. We are finite. So inside of this, in the word mercy is great. Aren't you thankful that God's mercies are new this morning? Amen? I hope you thank the Lord every single day because the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. But there is time equated with the mercy of God. That time is ticking, and he says 40 days. The mercy of God is a limited time offer. You don't have forever to turn to him. He preaches this message with boldness. He preaches it with passion. Then, then verse 5 would have been very difficult for surrounding countries to even hear because it's verse 5. The Ninevites believe God. The Ninevites believe God. It's amazing. Notice, they didn't even believe Jonah. They believed God. Amen? You may not even believe a word I say today. That's okay. Just believe God. Amen? Just believe him. They believed so much that they said they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, let's go back to the beginning. They believed God. You need to understand, for a first-time reader reading this, they would have said, no stinking way. The Ninevites repented and came to God? No way. I don't even believe it. There's no way ever that the Ninevites would ever do. They are a terrible, great, horrible people. That would be like me saying to you, Howard Stern is now in Christian radio, and he's talking about sexual purity. We'd be like, no, stinking way. <laughs> What? You know, it'd be like me saying, well, Tom Cruise is no longer in Scientology, but now he's a Christian evangelist, okay? Or Nicki Minaj is a gospel singer. Bam, bam, the fastest gospel singer we have ever had in our life, right? You'd be like, no stinking way. No, I believe God can change anybody's heart. How about you? Amen. 
He can do that. But that would be like them. They're like, what? This happened? And so they're like, this is crazy. It'd be like Hollywood all came to Jesus. I mean, would that be cool? Or we'd say today, like the, the Las Vegas Strip, you know, that you said that that whole area, they came to Jesus and they repented of their sins. And now all the casinos are places of worship and people are worshiping the Lord. Would that be amazing? Yeah. Can God do it? Yes, he can. They're no long, longer pulling the one-armed man. They're lifting their arm to the Lord and giving him praise. This is how crazy this was in their thought processes. You think, what? They repented. And you see this. They fasted. And you see the symbol of humility, repentance, and a desire to see and to hear from God. And the Bible says in these scripture verses, they put on sackcloth, which was actually goat's hair. And, and it's, it's miserable. It's itchy. It's a burlapy type stuff. And they're saying, we repent. We're not even worthy to be in normal clothes and so you see a continual physical reminder of their sin why do they put it on it's a reminder of what they had done and then you see verses six through nine when the news reached the king of Nineveh he rose from his throne he took off his royal robes he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust now your your version may say ashes he took off his kingly robes, he put on the sackcloth, he got down into the dust, and he is saying, I am unworthy, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness from God. And then, verse 7, he issues a proclamation. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them even eat or drink. So the, the people are saying, we're not even going we're, we're, we're to eat food. We're going to fast from food. That's what they're saying. Then the king, he raised the standard. He said, not only are you, but our animals are going to fast as well. Let everyone, including the animals, let everyone call urgently on God. Let us call from the deepest point that is within us. Let us call from the deepest point, whatever that is, spiritually, physically, mentally, let us call out with passion to God. Let's call on him in humble repentance. And, and you see this. Let them turn from their evil ways and their violence. Let them change not just with the words, but let them change with their actions as well. Verse 9, who knows? God may even relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? God might give us a second chance. God might have mercy on us we're, we're not going to eat and in pain we're going to call out to God not just call on God we're going to call on God urgently I'm going to ask you do you ever ache for the spiritual condition of our church Do you ever ache for the spiritual condition of this community? Our government, our nation, the nations of the earth. Do you ache?
I know that my heart is ached. I'm thankful for what God does in this church, but it's nowhere close to what God really wants. I get that. I ache for my failed leadership. I ache for families that are broken. There are those of you right now that I believe you are honoring Jesus and you're honoring him well. And there are some of you that you honestly take the gospel of Jesus seriously. I know that. But I would say that there are people that are people under our care that God is only about going to church and then going about life and it's an afterthought. I know one thing that God has given us our lives and they belong to him first. Not to the idols that are around us and in us many times. And in knowing that we can repent. That we would repent for our self-centeredness. For our materialistic drives. That we would repent that some of us don't care about lost people that God sent Jesus for. Repent that we'll take a little mission trip to feel better about ourselves. Repent for our ungodliness. Repent as a church for our sins that we've committed to one another. Repent as a nation for millions of babies that have been aborted. Apathy towards those that are hellbound. Complacency to the voice of God. J. Edwin Orr, a professor of church history, has described the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the Welsh revivals of the 19th century. As people sought to be filled with the Spirit, they did all they could to confess their wrongdoing and to make restitution, but it unexpectedly created serious problems for the shipyards along the coast of Wales. Over the years, workers had stolen all kinds of things from wheelbarrows to hammers. However, as people sought to be right with God, they started to return what they had taken. With the result that soon the shipyards of Wales were overwhelmed with returned property. There were such huge piles of returned tools that several of the yards put up signs that read, if you have been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you've taken. And can you imagine if that type of repentance came upon America? It might do a number on our economic system. Forty days and you will be overturned. And I hope that we catch this and I hope that we get this, that we would be people that we would call urgently upon God as Christ's followers, and I wish that we would not only hear, but that we would be different and that we would urgently, from all that is within us, we would call on God for his help. Jonah comes out preaching fire now. And the Ninevites, the people who are furthest from God, said, we are going to turn to God. There are those of you right now that most people say, you are so far away from God. Somebody that's in here. That they'll never come to God. And inside of you, you know that you are so close right now. Sometimes we have to understand that those who appear the farthest are actually the closest. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person in your workplace that keeps arguing with you about Jesus. And you think that they are so diametrically opposed to God. Let me tell you something. They are closer than you think they are. God's working on their spirit. He's frustrated. He's troubled. They're troubled for a reason and for a purpose. Let me say, oh, no, I've written them off. Don't ever write anybody off ever. Amen? God is working on them. And we see these people, we're going to turn to God. And it says the Ninevites repented. Now, if you study through history, you'll realize repentance didn't last very long here at that place. It was rather short-lived. But we see and we need to know, though, that the grace of God was very evident. Verse 1, God showed Jonah grace. Verse 10, we see God showed Nineveh grace. And I believe that God wants to show us grace today. Scripture says that he had so much grace, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, what did he have on them? Compassion. He had compassion. You know, he didn't bring upon them the destruction that he threatened would happen. God gave them a second chance. I pray today that us as a church for the next years ahead that we would be a church that we live in the, in the second grace and the second chance of God to bear more spiritual fruit than all the years behind us. Amen? That your life and my life would bear spiritual fruit and see people raised, changed, discipled, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all that is within them. We are thankful for the second chance that God's given to us. But we are to do something with the second chance that God's given to us. We would agree with the great American patriot who wrote, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue on our own. He goes on, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. And if they're, they were, these words were very true when Abraham Lincoln said them when he proclaimed a national day of fasting and prayer in April 1863, how much more true must they be today, right? That we have no earthly idea what that really means. Yet we are tempted many times to believe that the sad moral and spiritual state of our people, of our world, that is the reason we're not seeing God come and revive us. But I want you to consider the possibility that this is such the condition that are the cause of God moving in revival and not the prevention of it. That, in fact, every great revival was preceded by times of darkness, declension, and depravity. 
prophet Isaiah in 60 verse 2 says, Darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. That when you study the subject of God reviving his people, you will find that the days and times preceding any great move of God had occurred in history were days and times of gross darkness. We're there. We're there. Okay? R.B. Jones said, each revival comes in a time characterized by confusion, politically and morally, by the spread of a hierarchy that separates man from God, by social lawlessness and chaotic home life, by worldliness in the churches and skepticism in the pulpits. That's very accurate. If you remember a story, maybe you're a sports fan, you'll remember the story how New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the annual Rose Bowl. In this football game, a guy by the name of Roy Rigels, the center of California football team, recovered a fumble. He recovered the fumble. In all excitement and the pressure of the moment, Rigels became confused, began running the wrong way. And one of his teammates, Benny Lam, saw what was happening and ran with all his, his might towards Roy, tackled him just before he crossed the goal line to keep him from scoring for the opposing team. This was during the first half. Everyone was wondering what Coach Nibs Price would do with Roy. What were they gonna, what's he going to do with him in the second half? And during the halftime break, Roy Rigel sat alone in a corner, wrapped a blanket around his shoulders, put his hands in his face, and he cried like a baby. Three minutes before the start of the second half, Coach Price looked at the team and said, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. Roy Rigel's never moved. Coach called him again. He never moved. Coach Price went over to him, sat down and said, Roy, you didn't hear me. The same team that played the first half will start the second half. Roy spoke up and said, Coach, I, I can't do it to save my life. I ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face th that crowd anymore in the stadium, stadium to save my life. And then Coach Price reached out his hand, put it on Rigel's shoulder, and said, Roy, get up and go on back because the game is only half over. Roy Rigels went in, went back in. They say there was never a man to play football as he played that second half. They've never seen anybody like it. Sadly, though, he never was able to overcome the nickname that he earned by one mistake on the field. He was forever known as Wrong Way Rigels. I know, and so do you, that life isn't fair. And sometimes we make really dumb, stupid mistakes. Uh, and what, all too often what can happen is one single mistake or, or act of rebellion, one moment of failure or sin uh, can stay with us for the rest of our lives. And then we feel, hey, we're forever branded and known by the mistake that we made. I mean, today, have you ever made a mistake that you think, I'm never going to be able to live that thing down? Never. Is there, is there something in your life that's happened a long time ago, something you wish 
you could take back or forget, but somebody won't let it die in your life. Most of those times, yes, they're made in rebellion, confusion, something very stupid, a very dumb mistake, but there are times when the mistakes are made because of the choices we made against a rebellious God, knowing the right thing to do, but we still refuse to do it anyways. It's when we live in that state of rebellion that we often commit an act of sin or make the mistake that will live with us forever. But I'm here to tell you today that we have a God that is a God of a second chance in our lives. Now we're starting to unbury and we're starting to see in chapter three, oh, it, it wasn't really about the fish and it wasn't really about the fish throwing him up when God told him, it's, it's about, hey, God says, hey, I'm a, I'm a God of a second chance and I've called you to do what I have called you to do. And if you will listen to me, people will come to me, people will find me. And that is the message that we've sang today. We're no longer a slave to fear. We're no longer a slave to sin. If you're a sinner in this room, you're a slave to sin. You want to change your address? How do you do it spiritually? You come to Jesus. You become a follower of Christ today. And then you're no longer a slave to those things. Oh, there's things on me, Pastor. You have no, I, I probably don't. You don't even understand. They, they're branded on my life. I, I, I don't. But I know there is a God that does. And when he looks at you today and he sees you, he sees his child. He sees somebody that he's running after and he says, that's my child and I will give them a second chance. And I have given them a second chance in me. Church, it's time to get back up again. We got a whole lot more playing to do, whether Jesus comes back this afternoon, tomorrow, or a week from now, 10 years from now, we don't know, only the Father in heaven knows. But listen, you and I got a lot more work to do for the kingdom of God. And it's time to get back up again and know that we have a God that believes in us and has given us a second chance. Amen? Hallelujah. That's a good word from the Lord. Thank you, Jonah. Jonah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this story of Jonah that, Lord, just isn't another good Bible story, but it's real life to us. It's the real deal of a man who ran away from you and God who you were relentlessly in love with, just like you're relentlessly in love with every human being here today or in the sound of my voice. Father, you long for us. You care about the things that we care about. Father, forgive us today though as we are here and as we hear your words of life out of Jonah 3. That God, forgive us for the times that we have been complacent, apathetic, we have been self-centered. And that God, that we would repent of our sins today so that we can be people that are passionately in love with you, passionately in love with the world that is lost, to love recklessly, to give generously. Thank you for your mercy. I want you to think about something now before we, 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 we brought this, bring this down, is I want you to think about something that you may be holding on to. haven't been able to seem to let go of it but God wants you to do it whether it's a sin situation problem relationship but God's telling you today I want that and I don't want you to have it any longer 
maybe there's something today you're saying, I need to repent of. I need to leave it behind. And I'm going to follow God full speed. From this very moment on, I'm going to let go of it. I'm going to leave it here. And I'm going to go on so that God can give me great success and great victory in his name. If you're here today, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you say, you know what, there's an area that I need to repent of. I'm going to leave it here. I'm not going to pick it back up but I'm going to repent of it now in this room and in this time. Can I see your hand across this place? Come on, you raise them. Thank you, thanks. Many hands. Many hands across this place. Many hands in some of these sections. And God is asking you, and you're going to give it right now. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for the honesty of your people. Lord, in this moment, they are giving up that thing that they've held dear that is not of you. The idol that they've hold, held close to their heart, that it is broken in Jesus' name. Father, Lord, that we repent of that situation, that sin, that circumstance, that relationship, that thing that keeps pulling us down. God, today, you're cutting the line to it. And Lord, you're causing us to fly in you. You're causing us to go full speed after you. Cause us, Lord, as a church to come and turn towards you, Lord. Fully repent of our sin, our self-centered ways. Father, it is only by the grace of God that we are here today, that we stand upon this soil, that we have this property, Lord. Lord, that we would be able to impact this community by the grace that you have given to us to be able to speak boldly. And we would be able to declare the words of life to those that are lost. Lord, I pray this today. Stir us spiritually, Lord. Stir us, Lord, today cause us to think about your desires over our own desires. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. And everyone said, amen and amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Today, you may say, you know what? Maybe I just need to come to this altar and I need to repent of my sins. Maybe you say, you know what? I just want to sit where I'm at and I'm just going to confess my sin before the Lord. May you make this moment an altar before the Lord as he touches you and as he impacts you with his presence. Worship team's gonna sing, and we pray God's rich blessing upon you. We'll see you back here next week for chapter four of Jonah. God bless you.